When we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away. Hosanna, Hosanna. You are the God who saves us. Worthy of all our praises. Hosanna. Come every way among us, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the Take me as you find me, all my fears and failures, fill my life again, I give my life to follow, everything I believe in, now I surrender, 
Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Atoning sacrifice. Keeper of this life, hallelujah, you are Savior, beginning and the end, forgiver of my sin, by your mercy you have saved us. Jesus, you are stronger, more than any soul's deepest desire, hallelujah, you are Savior. You are the shepherd king, you lead us by still waters.
Father, we come today to worship you as the giver of life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And we come today because of your gift of Jesus Christ that has changed everything. We pray that our worship would truly help us to engage your spirit. And that we would bring honor and glory to you through our time together. And that we would draw closer to you and to one another. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to uh, take a few moments to share a greeting with one another, maybe meet someone new as uh, we come together and worship today. It is great to see you as we gather for worship today, and I want to just uh, mention a couple of things that are happening in the life of the church uh, this week. Uh, Tonight at uh, 6 o'clock, we're going to be uh, gathering in the community room for a dessert fellowship, and this is an opportunity for us just to kind of get together as the summer comes to an end and we're preparing for a new school year to start, and also a chance to uh, meet folks who are either new to the area or new to the church. Um, and uh, we will provide the food and drinks uh, for everyone to, uh, to come tonight. And it should be a time to uh, visit, to, to uh, get to know some people and uh, talk with one another and fellowship together. So we hope you will uh, come tonight in the community room directly behind us in the building there. If you're uh, new to the area, to the church, we especially want you to come and uh, have this opportunity to uh, get to know each other a little bit better and to connect with one another. So tonight, 6 o'clock, we'll be uh, gathering. Next Sunday morning, worship at 9.40 and 11. And uh, next Sunday evening, we're having a potluck gathering. And uh, you can see information in the bulletin about that. Uh, If you're interested in helping with Sunday school, we have a few openings left in in teaching our children. And our our children are very important to us as a congregation. And we want to instill the word of God and the truth of God into their lives. And it's a great privilege to be able to do that. And so if you have an interest in that, you see information in the bulletin related to connecting with Sunday school. And uh, the, the other thing is that we are preparing a new pictorial directory. Love to have you be a part of it. If you've not, if you can get in the August uh, picture taking, we have another set of days in September. You can uh, sign up now uh, after the service this morning or online. There's information in the bulletin about that. Love to have you be a part of that as well. There are a number of things that we're praying about, both things related to us specifically as a congregation and to the larger world. So many things happening and We're praying about Egypt and other places of the world where uh, there is conflict and war and and just a lot of difficulties. And we're asking for God's grace in those situations as well as in the lives of people that are connected to us here. We have the opportunity to uh, give back to God from the multitude of ways in which he's given to us. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come and assist us. And children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church. Let all the earth rejoice, he rides. 
wraps himself in love And in darkness tries to hide And trembles at his force And trembles at his force How great is our God Sing with me How great is our God And all we'll see How great How great is our God And age to age He stands joys and privileges of gathering together in worship is the opportunity to pray together, to join our hearts, our minds, and all the, the ways in which we are separate. We come together and as one offer our prayers. And uh, has been our practice for a number of years. Uh, if you'd like to come and, and kneel at the altar rail and offer your prayers for yourself, for other people, for the world, Please come and join me as we pray together. Father, it is difficult to put into words our thoughts about who you are. We proclaim that you are the great God, that you are awesome and mighty in power, that you are gracious and loving. And yet all of these words fall short of your nature and your character as the creator of all that is, the sustainer of all that is, and the giver of life and salvation. 
And we come today to praise you and to honor you and to give glory to you because of who you are and because of what you've done. And we come to offer our prayers knowing that you hear us. We pray for ourselves today and and all who are in need this morning. In your compassionate power, heal all who suffer, whether the suffering is physical or mental, emotional or relational. Bring healing. We pray that you will comfort all who are grieving today who experienced a recent death, who who might be marking the anniversary of a death, for all who continue to be burdened by sorrow of the loss of one dearly loved. We pray that you will restore all who are lost and wandering, give hope to the hopeless and peace to the restless. We pray that you will give strength to us in our weakness and lift the burdens from us as we falter under the heavy weight of living in this fallen, broken world. We pray that you'd help us to see you in our lives and in the lives of others as you work in us. Father, we pray that you would work in this world of pain and distress, famine and drought, of greed and lust for power, of evil and moral indifference in so many forms. For all who are hungry, may they be fed. For all who are victims of injustice, vindicate them. We pray that for all who, are, who have been called to teach, that you would make them wise. And for all who are seeking to learn, may they be well instructed. For all who are suffering from the weight of this broken world, we pray for grace and healing. We think especially today of the nation of Egypt. This nation with a long history We pray, Father, that you will bring peace, work miraculously in a circumstance that seems to be escalating in violence. Lord, we know that you can bring an end to the violence and you can bring peace to this nation. We pray that you will do so. We pray that you will comfort all who are grieving enormous loss of life in the last few weeks. We pray that you will bring stability. Father, shine your light upon our world, upon your church in this world, that through the love and the compassion, the righteousness of you in your people, we pray that our neighbors here and neighbors all over the world would witness your goodness and respond to your transforming love. We pray that you will descend upon us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray them all through Jesus Christ, author and perfecter of our faith, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our scripture today comes from Psalm 130. If you wish to follow along from the Pew Bible, it's on page 614. 
As Mrs. Hidgley and Pastor Odin mentioned a couple weeks ago, this is a song of ascents sung by pilgrims during exile or making their journey toward home. Psalm 130, hear the word of the Lord. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem all Israel from their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Now will you please stand for the song to follow? Our God is not dead, he's alive. 
Father, we thank you for the cross and for the empty tomb. And as Christ has risen and given us life, we pray that your word will live in our hearts today. Help us to be open to your spirit speaking to each of us. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Let me paint this scenario for you. Guy has um, chartered a boat, never been on a, never uh, had a boat in his life. And he goes out and he doesn't take any rations. He has no life jackets. He's told no one where he's going. He has no radio. And he is heading into, knowingly, a huge storm. And he gets out into the water, gets out into the middle of the the, uh, ocean, and the storm hits him, and the boat capsizes, and he sinks. Now, you'd, you'd say, what is wrong with this guy? Who in their right mind would do something like that? And something in the back of our... And here's the other thing. It isn't the first time he's done this. In fact, this is a repeated pattern that the guy has done. Over and over and over again. 15th, 20th time. Now I don't know who the crazy person is that keeps loaning the boat. But that's a whole other story. But he keeps going out. Same scenario. And he ends up in the water. Part of us is thinking, you know what? The guy's getting what he deserves. Let him go. There is something of that kind of scenario that is in my mind as I read the 130th Psalm. There is something of this this sense of someone who has done something so stupid. And there they are crying out for help. Now, there are some times when you read the Psalms and people are crying out for help. And the reason is because of injustice. The the reason they're crying out for help is because people have hurt them. Because situations have arisen they have no control over. and, And it's weighing upon them and it's crushing them. And there are a number of Psalms where you see that the writer dealing with that kind of scenario. But this is not one of those Psalms. This is a Psalm where the writer has said... It's my sin that's gotten me to this place. It's my fault. I did it. I'm responsible for where I am. He begins by saying, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? This is about the writer of the psalm saying, Lord, I have blown it again. I know the right thing to do, and I didn't do it. And he's crying out for help. Now, I suspect when we read this psalm, a part of us, as I said, is feeling like, hey, you know, you, you sort of get what you deserve. 
I think we have that mindset because when we read out of the depths, we're thinking of this, this sense of, of great shame and guilt that is about something huge that's happened. This is the, you know, thinking this is somebody who's committed a sin that is way out there. And maybe it is. Maybe it is something like that. And the guilt and the shame and the agony of the reality of the sin is so heavily weighing upon him. He doesn't know what to do. And maybe you and I have felt that kind of shame and guilt. I suspect that at some point we probably have. But it's not just about those kinds of sins. It's about the the everyday sins that you and I wrestle with. Because it doesn't matter what the sin is, sin is sin. And sin causes us, at least it should, cause us to feel guilt and shame. And to feel a bit like the guy who is drowning in the water. Now I suspect that's hard for us sometimes because we're pretty good at denying our sin. We, we often rationalize our sin by saying, well, I'm not as bad as that person is. I don't wrestle with the same kind of sins that they're wrestling with. And, and in comparison to them, I look pretty good. And so we, 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 we talk about our sin in the context of what other people are doing. And of course, we never choose people who are better than us. We always choose people who are worse than us. And it reminds me of the parable Jesus tells uh, in Luke 18 about the tax collector and the Pharisee who come to the temple. And they're praying together. And the Pharisee's prayer is, Lord, thank you that I'm not such a sinner like that tax collector. Thank you that I don't take advantage of people like he does. Thank you that I'm not the swine of the earth like that guy is. Thank you, God. And the tax collector's got his face buried in the tile of the temple saying, Lord, I'm the most worthless person in the world. He's right. I am a swine. I'm horrible. I've committed so many sins. I, I don't deserve anything from you. And to the shock of everybody listening, Jesus says the one who walked away right with God was not the Pharisee, but the tax collector. It's not about comparing ourselves to other people. That's just rationalizing our sin. And we rationalize it also by thinking, well, my sin isn't that bad anyway. I mean, it's not one of the big ones. You know, there's not, we're not talking about the kind of sins that might get you kicked out of the church. See, we, we think those are sins. The other things, well, they're just stuff I wrestle with. And every time I'm tempted to think like that, my mind goes back to a couple of passages of Scripture. One is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul says, I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. And then in Galatians 5, Paul says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. And we read that and we want to stop and say, yeah, those are really bad things. And then he says, well, there's a few others. How about hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, like... And he says, I warn you that I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not just the big stuff that separates us from God. It's not just the big stuff that causes us to be less than what God wants us to be, that damages our souls. It's those everyday things, the way we treat one another. And often they are the kinds of things that we simply brush off as, well, that's just my personality. Or they deserved it. Or somebody's got to stand up for my rights. All of it is killing us. And whether we like it or not, and whether we see it or not, all of these things are leading us to be just like the guy trying to tread water out in the deep and not doing very well. And the reason that is so important is because until we come to acknowledge our sin, until we come to acknowledge that we are sinners, we will never realize how much we need God's grace. 
And if nothing else, the writer of the psalm acknowledges how much he needs God's grace. Out of the depths, I cry out to you, O Lord. See, we have a tendency to think, well, we can just fix ourselves. I'll just try harder. I'll just do better. It's as though we rewrite the psalm to say, out of the depths, O Lord, I'll climb myself out of this. Out of the depths, O Lord, I think I can turn this boat back upright and get on back on the deck. Out of the depths, O Lord, I think I can figure this one out on my own. No. The psalmist realizes it's impossible. That there is absolutely no hope without God. Out of the depths, I cry out to you, O Lord. Period. How many times have we tried to fix ourselves? How many times do we keep thinking, oh, I can get a handle on this by myself, on my own. I can do this. And all the while, we just keep failing. It's about God. And the psalmist can cry out to God because he knows who God is. He knows the character of God. He is loving. He's forgiving. And it doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter whether we think the sin is too great for God to forgive or too small to worry about God forgiving. It's all about coming to God who is loving and forgiving. When you read verse 4, he says, With you there's forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Verse 7, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. It's about the nature and the character of God. That's why we come to him. Because he is loving and forgiving. In fact, God describes himself in the Old Testament. He says, you want to know who I am? Here's the repeated description he gives of himself. I am patient and loving and good and forgiving to a fault. That's how God describes himself. Now, sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we don't always see that. there's, I don't know if some of you get Christianity Today, but a recent edition of that had a few articles about this, the dichotomy of trying to balance the God of the Old Testament and some of the things that happened there with Jesus of the New Testament. And going all the way back to Marcion in the fourth century, there are people who they want to throw out the Old Testament and say, that's just a totally different thing. It's a different God. And if you do that, then you have to throw out a whole bunch of the New Testament as well. But it's not a different God. It's the same God. But it's sometimes hard to reconcile that. I was thinking about this and reminded me of a story I read years ago about a little boy sitting in Sunday school. And, and he was reading, hearing all of these Old Testament stories. You know, we teach our children. I, one of these days I'm going to preach a series of sermons. Stories we probably shouldn't tell our children in Sunday school. And, and, you know, and, and he's hearing all these stories about, about the things that, that are happening. And he's, you could see the wheels turning in his mind trying to reconcile this and not being able to get it. And all of a sudden the light goes on. And he says, oh, I understand. All of that was before God was a Christian. <laughs> you kind of get that. But no, it's the same God. What we see in Jesus is who God is. And there are lots of things that we need, you know, we have to work through to explain some of the stuff of the Old Testament. But it is the same God who is loving and gracious and merciful. And the psalmist, who is in the midst of the Old Testament, of life that is written about in the Old Testament, says, I believe that God is so loving and so forgiving that I'm going to cry out to him. Because I believe he's going to help me. It's one of the things that separates God from all the other gods that the other nations worship. You know, those gods are, are happy to punish their people. Those gods are happy and willing and, and can't wait to get their pound of flesh from their people. But forgiveness? What you hear from them is, I'll forgive you... If you do enough for me, I'll forgive you if you appease me. And God says, I forgive you. 
It's not about what you can do for me. It's not about appeasing me. This is who I am. This is my nature. I love to forgive. I love to redeem. I love to transform people's lives. Come to me. And it's it's because of who God is that the the writer of this psalm can say, I'm going to trust God and turn to him. You see verses 5 and 6. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He repeats that phrase twice. And it's it's Hebrew Hebrew poetry. It's a style of, of repeating things. But it's also an emphasis. You think about a a watchman on the wall at night. and, And all the things that can happen at night. You know how it is when you're by yourself in a place where you feel just a little bit uncertain? You hear every creak, every groan. I remember years ago, there were times where uh, I, I would be home and Cindy and the boys were at her parents. And, and you know, you're by yourself and you hear things that you never hear when everybody else is there. What's so weird is that there were a few times where Cindy went on a retreat and the boys were there with me and they were like, you know, three, five years old and I felt much more secure having them there. What was that about? (laughs) But it's just having other people around. But there's something about nighttime that makes us nervous and anxious and fearful. And that first light of dawn brings a sense of relief. We wait for it. We look for it. You think of the sentry out on the wall and every few minutes looking up to see, is it almost dawn yet? And there is this yearning in his spirit so deep it's hard to describe. I cannot wait for the dawn. And the psalmist says, even more than that, I yearn for God. That's really what it means to trust God. Trusting God... Is, this, is living with this yearning, this desire for God. That even when we sin, even when we feel like we're in the depths of sin and we're drowning in sin, we have a yearning for God because we believe that God can be trusted to love us and to forgive us and to never turn his back on us. It is that, de- that depth of soul, that yearning, that passion for a God And we wait for him. We yearn for him. We get excited about thinking of him being in our lives. I was talking with someone about this whole thing this week, and they mentioned to me that, you know, it it reminds them of, of the story of the prodigal son. And it's true. And the prodigal son is really the, maybe the New Testament equivalent of the writer of this psalm. As he goes out and he squanders everything he has, every privilege, everything that is his. He lives in sin, every conceivable kind of sin. And he gets to the end of his rope and he says, I'm going back to my father. I'd rather face the disappointment and the, and the punishment of my father than stay where I am. And he goes back to his father. And what's so fascinating to me about that story that Jesus tells is that it's not the son who runs to the father. It's the father who runs to the son. And you and I come to a God even in the midst of our sin who runs to us, embraces us, That's what it means to trust him. This is the God we're putting our trust in. It doesn't mean he ignores our sin, not at all. He deals with our sin. And that sometimes is very, very painful to deal with our sin. But dealing with the pain of our sin with our loving father is always the means to getting through it. And finding peace and joy and life. It's in him. As James mentioned, this is a psalm of a sense. 
It's a song that the pilgrims sing as they're on their way to Jerusalem to worship the great festivals. And it strikes me as kind of an odd song to prepare for worship. You know, you, you would think if you're preparing for worship, you're going to sing, Hallelujah, great is the Lord. We worship him, we praise him. And there are some of those psalms that you have. This is one of those, oh man, out of the depths I cry, I'm in bad shape. Doesn't seem like you're really getting yourself psyched up for worship, right? And in fact, if we're honest, thinking about our sin often causes us to feel like maybe I shouldn't even be in worship. If people knew what I'd done this week, they wouldn't want me in worship. If people knew the sins that I committed this week, they wouldn't want me here in worship. If people really knew the struggles that I have, they'd say, you shouldn't be here in worship. And something in our minds wants to to tell us this is not the place to be. And the psalmist is telling us it's the only place to be. It is the place to be right here. It's what we've been talking about for a while that the one of the most profound, not the only, but one of the most profound images of the church is a hospital. Jesus says, I've come for people who know they're sick, who know they need help and aren't afraid to admit it. These are the people I can do something about. It's the people who think they've got it all together. It's the people who think, I've got to get my life figured out before I can be in the presence of God's people that are in trouble. This is the place we come when we're struggling with sin. Because I guarantee you, whether we think it or not, every one of us is here today having wrestled with sin this week. Every one of us. Because we're all human. And we all struggle and none of us are perfect. And sometimes we think that the church is about, is is for people who are perfect. It's not. It's for you and me. And it's here that we find and hear and receive the loving grace of our Heavenly Father. And the answer to our struggle with sin is not to leave our boat docked and moored at the shore. You know, sometimes we think that's the answer. If I just, if we just keep our boat right here, then everything will be fine. But that's not really what a boat's for. I mean, I don't know of anybody who, who buys a boat and never takes it out into the water. Why buy the boat? The whole point of having a boat is that you take it out into the water. And we, but we think that if we could just keep it there at the dock, then everything will be fine and, and life will be perfect. And of course, that's an illusion. But we weren't created to, to dock our boats at the shore. We were created to get out into the water. And getting out into the water means that we're going to face rough seas. And maybe sometimes our boat gets capsized And sometimes we fall over and sometimes we find ourselves in the deep. But that's why God is with us. And we cry out to him and he rescues us. And he's there for us. Because we aren't called to a life that's safe. We're called to a life of risk-taking trust. And sometimes that means we're going to struggle. It's the difference between, it's the difference in how people approach a new class. It doesn't matter if you're talking about high school, college, graduate school. You come into a new class and typically you have two perspectives. For some people, entering a new class, the goal is to get an A. And for other people, the goal is to learn as much as possible about whatever the class is about. Now, often, if you take that second perspective, you end up with an A. But if your perspective is to get an A, you often don't end up really learning the subject matter. Because it's just about passing tests. It's just about doing what you have to do. 
It's not about really engaging the subject and the class and learning. And far too often, our journey with Christ is a lot more, I just want to stay perfect. Instead of, I want to know God. I want to live a life of trusting God, even if that involves risk. And it doesn't mean that God isn't calling us to to holiness, to holy living. He is, but the way to holy living is not, I just need to be perfect. The way to holy living is trusting God. Living life in intimacy with God, in relationship with God, who loves us and who's with us and who is always for us. It's about grace. Brenda Manning has, is someone who for many years has had a great influence on the church and on people outside the church. He has had a long speaking career. He's written a number of books, Ragamuffin Gospel, Ruthless Trust, Abba's Child and others. And some of you may or may not be familiar with him, but he, he writes a lot about, about his life and about his struggle and, and about grace. He, he died last April. And the last book he wrote is what he called a ragamuffin's memoirs. It's titled All is Grace. And it's a very, as he says, brutally honest book about his difficult life. He's very open and honest about his struggles of faith and his struggle of relationships. And he talks about his, his divorce and he, and he talks a lot about being an alcoholic. And his, his struggle with alcoholism and, and his victory over it and his failure with it. And the cycle that he often went through and the difficulties of that. And ultimately, it was his alcoholism that shortened his life. And in his book, he's brutally honest about it. Philip Yancey wrote the foreword to this book. And in the foreword, Yancey makes a statement that the moment I read it and since then, it has haunted me. It's haunted me because I, I'm convinced what he says is true. But it's also haunted me because I wrestle to really believe it's true. And he says this. As you read this memoir, you may be tempted, as I was, to think, Oh, what, what might have been? If Brennan hadn't given in to drink. And then he says, but I want you to reframe that thought. And to think of it this way. Oh, what might have been if Brennan hadn't discovered grace? What might have been if Brennan hadn't discovered grace. And my question for us is, have we discovered grace? Have we discovered the kind of grace that's rooted in our honesty about our sin? The kind of grace that's rooted in the nature and character of God? The kind of grace that takes sinners and does something in our lives that we couldn't dream possible. I'm going to ask us just to take a few moments of silence to ponder God's grace and to ponder our sin and His nature and character.
Father, whatever sin we are wrestling with today, we know that you are loving and forgiving and we can trust you. Hear our prayers of repentance and assure us of your forgiveness. Through the grace of Christ, we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing together. the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. 
May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.